0: Greetings. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to call in and chat, is 877-97Eric. 877-973-7425. The Academy Award nominations came out. I don't know anything about any of it. Uh, you know, it reminds me back in the day when I was, uh, being wooed by Fox News and CNN. I ultimately went to CNN first. Rush Limbaugh pretty much told me I should, and so I did. Uh, but uh, Bill Shine at Fox it made the point that they never cover the Academy Awards or the Oscars or the, uh, the, the, the Emmys, all of them. Why? Because no one really cares outside of the coastal elite, and that's probably true. I can't think of the last time I'd actually seen a movie Uh, that really uh, had any sort of nominations or anything. Um, I mean, they they pick like garbage movies, although I did hear that Dune was nominated. Uh, Dune was excellent, but I'm sure most of it's stuff I've never heard of. Okay, we need to talk about a topic. There is a news story out, and we need to discuss Afghanistan, believe it or not. Do you know, I mentioned to you all the issue of uh, Eric Lander. Eric Lander was the head of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, OSTP. And Eric Lander has treated the staff very abusively. Joe Biden said at the beginning of his administration, if anyone makes degrading, disparaging remarks to anyone else in the administration, they'll be fired on the spot, he said. And then to emphasize, he said, on the spot, a second time, Eric Lander, there was an Inspector General report, an investigation in his office. Turns out he was being abusive to staff. Joe Biden did not seek to fire him. Eric Lander has resigned. Today, the White House says Eric Lander resigned without Joe Biden requesting it. So to put this in perspective, more people in the Biden administration have have now lost their jobs over workplace bullying. Then the Pentagon has lost over the withdrawal of Afghanistan, from Afghanistan. The other day there was a report out that in those chaotic days of briefings, the White House was given a lot of bad advice from a lot of intelligence, and that Joe Biden himself chose to ignore good advice. On what he should have done, for example, the Taliban, yes, the Taliban, the Taliban said they would sit it out. They would wait at the gates of Kabul while we evacuated and uh, the Biden administration said, no, no, guys, y'all come on in. And they did. Which made it harder to evacuate. Do you know we still have people there? I've had on Josh Youssef from Help the Persecuted before. Help the Persecuted, it's a nonprofit I love. They help persecuted Christians abroad uh, by either building up a community around them, by providing them a safe house to escape from death, or by evacuating them from countries. It's a fantastic charity. Do you know in Iran, the fastest growing religion in Iran is Christianity? And with it comes persecution. Same in China. The fastest growing religion in China is Christianity. In fact, there are now estimated to be more Christians in China than there are Americans total in the United States 350, 330, 350 million. And they hide in the shadows, trying not to be noticed. President Xi of China has ordered that any house that has a cross on their wall, those families can't get government benefits unless they replace the cross with a picture of him. So help the persecuted, helps get the persecuted Christians out or build a community around them. Oftentimes, surreptitiously, they they can't do it openly and publicly. And help the persecuted told me, and they were not alone. I've heard this from other charities as well. We've had on uh, special forces operators who went over with friends to get some of their Afghan colleagues out. And they've all said the Biden administration has been an impediment. That the Biden administration itself has made it difficult to get people out of Afghanistan. In fact, multiple Christian organizations, get this. Multiple Christian organizations have told me the Biden administration State Department said if they prioritize Christians, they would get no help. They told Christian organizations, if you prioritize getting Christians out, you'll get no help. They needed to have a smattering of the LGBTQ plus community on the planes. No, I'm not making that up. So the Christian nonprofits and the special operators and others who've gone over there have had to rely on the British, the Australians, and the Dutch to help them evacuate people from Afghanistan. And now there's this today in the Washington Post. Senior White House and State Department officials failed to grasp the Taliban's steady advance on Afghanistan's capital and resisted efforts by U.S. military leaders to prepare the evacuation of embassy personnel and Afghan allies weeks before Kabul's fall, placed in American troops ordered to carry out the withdrawal in greater danger, according to sworn testimony from multiple commanders. An Army investigative report numbering 2,000 pages and released to the Washington Post through a Freedom of Information Act request details the life-or-death decisions made daily by U.S. soldiers and Marines sent to secure Hamid Karzai International Airport as thousands converged on the airfield in a frantic bid to escape. Beyond the bleak blunt assessments of top military commanders, the documents contained previously unreported disclosures about the violence American personnel experienced, including one exchange of gunfire that left two Taliban fighters dead after they allegedly menaced a group of U.S. Marines and Afghan civilians and a separate incident in which U.S. troops killed a member of an elite Afghan strike unit and wounded six others after they fired on the Americans. The investigation was launched in response to an August 26 suicide bombing just outside the airport. But it is much broader, perhaps, providing perhaps the fullest official account yet of the operation, which spans 17 nightmarish days. And no one has lost their job. No one's been held accountable. Nobody. To a degree, you would have to impeach the President of the United States because it was his fault you would have to impeach the president, it was his fault. It was the president of the United States who said we're gonna do this and every single one of his commanders and advisors said no, don't. But he wanted to do it. You understand his impulse here was personal, his son, his beloved son, his favorite son, His son, he loved so much, he screwed up the other son because of it. Was in the military. And Joe fretted every day when he was abroad in harm's way. And he didn't want other families to go through that. So you can kind of get that impulse, and he screwed it up along the way. It has rushed to get out in his hubris and his arrogance and his demands and his unwillingness to listen. You know, when Donald Trump was running for office, A lot of his biggest advocates in 2016, and they largely turned out to be right, said don't worry about Trump. He's going to surround himself with really good people and he'll take their advice. And overwhelmingly, for the most part, he did up until the end. Then he went off the rails, started listening to Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. But for the longest time in his administration, he listened to his advisors. He listened to the better angels. Joe Biden gets in office and immediately says, screw you all, we're getting out of Afghanistan. I don't care what you say. Unreal. Unbelievable. It's crazy. I mean, it really is nuts that he did this and then didn't have the guts to hold anyone else accountable. And I I guess there's no way to do it, but there there were people below Joe Biden who could have been held accountable, including Ron Klain as chief of staff. The Secretary of Defense, a number of the generals. It was bizarre. A little more here. Disagreement between U.S. military officials and American diplomats in Kabul about when to press forward with an evacuation appears to have gone back months. Vasily, who took command as the top officer in Afghanistan in July, said he was told by the departing four star commander, Army General Austin Scott Miller that there would be opposition among senior officials at the embassy to shrinking its footprint in Kabul. Ross Wilson, the acting U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan, was focused on maintaining a diplomatic presence there, Vasily said, and questioned how the United States was supposed to preserve its influence without an embassy. Vasily told investigators he was advised by embassy staff that he should provide those close to the acting ambassador with data illustrating the country's rapid collapse to the Taliban so it could be sold as a collective approach and not a power grab by the Department of Defense. Wilson wanted two weeks to evacuate the embassy and leave a skeleton staff at the airport. But by August 12th, three days before the fall of Kabul, Secretary of State Blinken and White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan called the ambassador and told him to move more quickly. The commander in Afghanistan was trying to get the ambassador to see the security threat for what it really was. As many as 10 government-controlled districts were falling to the Taliban daily. The embassy needed to position for withdrawal and the ambassador didn't get it. A Marine general told investigators that trying to engage the embassy in discussions about evacuation was like pulling teeth until early August. Then it became collaborative. There were a series of failures along the way from all parts of this administration. Some of it was bureaucratic infighting. Nobody's lost their job. Eric Lander, the head of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, has quit after reports came out publicly that he was abusive in the office. No one asked him to resign. No one at the White House asked this guy to resign. It makes you wonder what you must do to get fired by the White House. I don't know. Stand on Fifth Avenue and murder somebody? Will that get you fired? We had a bunch of American soldiers murdered in Afghanistan and no one lost their job. Maybe if it happened on Fifth Avenue, they would do something. There's been no accountability. And by the way, because there's been no accountability, you can expect that they won't run roughshod over anymore. There's there's signaling going on in the White House. You're not going to lose your job. The only way you lose your job in the White House is to dare to be a little bit conservative. That's not good. But you know what the ultimate fallout of all of this is? The American people have turned on Joe Biden. That's the ultimate fallout of this. That's the ultimate problem. For the Democrats, at least, Joe Biden's approval rating is in the tank. New polling is out. The Harvard poll, he's down 14. Insider Advantage, down 19. Monmouth University, down 17. Politico, down 11. Economist, down 4. Reuters, down 15. IBD Tip, down 10. The average is down 13.3%. It all happened in August of last year. Because the American public saw Joe Biden act on his own impulses, ignoring everyone else's advice. And now we know today it was even far worse than originally imagined. And notice how you're not getting a ton of coverage of this. Notice how you're not getting the national media covering this wall to wall. There's an article in the Washington Post. And everybody's moved on from it already. But it provides greater context for what's going on with the Biden administration. They lost touch. And the American people have turned on them. And, you know, once the public turns on you, it's not going back. It's like Stacey Abrams with the mask. I've got a lot of people who tell me that, well, you know, nobody's going to care about this by November. By by the time there's a vote, no one's going to care. You know what? They're right. No one will think in the back of their head, oh, yeah, this is the woman who wore the mask or didn't wear the mask while everybody else had to wear the mask. No, what they will think instead is it translates. In Joe Biden's case, it turns out it translated from we thought this guy was competent to he's incompetent. And with Stacey Abrams, it translates in we thought she was one of us to, oh, my gosh, she's another one of these elitists. And it's that change in perception that's going to hurt, and it should. And it should with the Biden administration, and it's going to. They can get you out of your mask now, and they can get your kids out of their masks now. But that's not going to change the perception of democrats right now in the country and so much of it comes back to afghanistan hello there the phone number here eight seven seven nine seven eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five let's go to the phone sandy you are going to be up next on the eric erickson show welcome
1: thank you eric it's nice to talk to you you too um i wanted you were talking about afghanistan and my son was there Um, I'm not going to give you his rank or anything for his protection, but, um, when he, did you know, you know, the thousands of people that were on the airport tarmac, Mm -hmm. they called in the Taliban to get them off the air, the tarmac, the airport.
0: I recall that. Yes.
1: And not only that, they had so many people there that people were literally starving. They had no water. Um, And Mm -hmm. let's see, I was trying to think of some other things that happened. Um, He received notice that he was going, and he was a guy in charge, okay? Mm -hmm. He received notice that he was going over the radio. That's how he found out that his guys were going. Then he received, he found out more information by Twitter. He was not contacted by any of his command. He found out all this information through media.
0: Oof wow. Good
1: and then grief. and then just when they got there, I mean he literally said that he saw children, infants, um, dying of dehydration. There is no restrooms available there was nothing available. Gosh. So these men didn't even know they were going till it was already in process.
0: And, you know, no one's been held accountable for this. Nobody has been held accountable. And, I mean, no, they, they haven't even attempted to throw anybody under the bus as a distraction, which is the most amazing part here. Um, this, and well, he Go ahead.
1: He did He did tell me that up until the time they went They were going back and forth, and his command was saying, no, 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 we don't need to do this. We are not prepared. This is the wrong timing. And that it came from the very top that, yes, you are going now.
0: Gosh. And it
1: literally happened, like, over a weekend.
0: Good grief. Well, I'm assuming he's okay.
1: Yeah, he was actually at the place the bomb went off. Um, and lost a couple of his men. Um, he had just walked away. He said he was like a hundred feet away. He was taking a family to be processed. Mm. Um, God had his hand on him.
2: Amen.
0: Listen, Sandy, I'm, I'm glad you called in and shared. And, and this leads me to a theory. The reason no one has been fired or even thrown under the bus or made to be a sacrificial lamb is because this was all Joe Biden. There's no one to fire. The only way to fire that guy is impeachment or vote him out of office. And the public, the election were held today, think about this, Joe Biden would lose to Donald Trump if the election were held today. Joe Biden would lose. And you people may not be thinking, oh, it's Afghanistan. But it reshaped their view of this presidency in a way that's hard to come back from. The only thing that may save him is the Republicans taking back Congress, and now he'll have a bad guy. But all the Republicans have to do is point out, listen, we weren't here for two years, and things are exactly the way they were. It's because Biden keeps screwing them up. When we come back, we got to talk about well, unfortunately, interest rates and pipelines. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three. 7425. Should you wish to be a part of this year program? We need to discuss laying pipe. Pipeline. Come on, people. Pipelines. We're laying down pipe across Appalachia. The jokes write themselves, but I'm deadly serious here. There is a website, it's a substack piece, Doomberg. I may or may not know the person involved behind the scenes on this anonymous account. One of the things that um, I find interesting here is the introduction to his P-series. He's talking about uh, overseas Filipino workers. It is a culture you probably don't understand. Dave Chappelle, if you listen to some of his comedy, he talks about this. In the Philippines, a vast array of people leave the Philippines to go work and send money home. It is a cultural phenomenon of the Philippines. And in particular, a lot of it is women. And the men are left to raise the children. When I grew up in Dubai, we had a housekeeper. She was from, uh, at the time, it was Bangalore. I guess now they renamed it Chennai. Uh, but she's from Bangalore, India. Her father was a tea plantation owner with lots of kids, and she was essentially pushed into uh, housekeeping abroad. She was wonderful. Anna I learned to make chicken curry from her. She was a wonderful cook, wonderful person. Her husband was a hard worker. They were raising their money to pay for visas for their children to be able to move from India to Dubai. The, the children lived with the family in, in Bangalore. They wanted the kids to be with them in Dubai, and and they busted their butts for years to raise the money to afford the visas for their kids. And it's a phenomenon. And in Qatar, the Qataris really have embraced a modern slave state of a degree. The Qataris uh, use their oil and natural gas money to prop up a largely slave state where the uh, overseas Filipino workers, the Indian workers, and others are treated not even as third-class residents. It is deeply abusive what the Qataris do to these people. Qatar is overwhelmingly occupied by non-Qatari people. And the work conditions are horrible. The abuse is horrible. Everything is horrible. There were stories when I was growing up, notorious, notorious stories of Emiratis, the natives of the United Arab Emirates where we lived, who had overseas Filipino workers and others working for them. They were deeply abusive. In one case, a person was murdered and all they had to do, all the Emirati had to do was just send money to the family. That was it. No guilt, no jail. Send some money. Bring home another Filipino worker to work. It's horrible. And the Qataris are the type of people we should not want to get wealthy off global instability, and yet they are the type of people that uh, we are allowing at our expense to get very wealthy in the geopolitical landscape over natural gas when we ourselves could be doing it. But, Oh, and thank you. A, a, a Lister just emailed me a, a Madras was Chennai and, and, um, Bangalore, uh, is, is different. Um, thank you very much. Uh, you could leave out all of your, your face palming descriptions for me getting it wrong. They changed the names in India. Bombay is Mumbai. Madras is Chennai. My goodness, um, I can't keep up. It's Bangalore. In any event, that's not the point. The point is this. We could be producing the natural gas for the world. Russia is building its natural gas pipeline, the Nord Stream 2, into Germany. Uh, we could be doing shipping caravans, much like the, the Berlin Airlift, to help Europe out, so they're not dependent on Russia. But our solution is to offload to the Qataris, who essentially run a terrorist state while enslaving a population. We're letting the Qataris, a, a terrible group of people, by the way, get really, really rich, and they're using that money to fund terrorism around the world, and we're not doing anything. And you know what the White House is allowing to happen? Federal judges appointed by Barack Obama to destroy our ability to produce natural gas. U.S. This is now from Doomberg, U.S. domestic natural gas producers were dealt another senseless gut punch. When a three-judge panel of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit revoked two federally approved permits to complete the critically important Mountain Valley Pipeline project, that's 94% constructed. Now, here's a quote from Arbyan Energy, which covers the the, the energy sector. For those holding on to a glimmer of hope that the long-delayed Mountain Valley Pipeline, a big and important Greenfield-Appalachian natural gas takeaway project, would finally come to fruition this year, it's safe to say the dreams were shattered. On January 25th, the U.S. Circuit Court for the Fourth Circuit vacated federal permits from the U.S. Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management that were needed to complete a 3.5-mile stretch of the main line through the Jefferson National Forest along the West Virginia-Virginia border. The ruling said the permit approvals were premature, issued before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's environmental assessment, and they failed to comply with the Forest Service 2012 planning rule. The decision sends the project back to the review process for the second time since construction began in 2018. Now Here's something you need to know. The pipeline is all but built. There's three and a half miles left that needs to be built. The result is that in Appalachia, they're going to have access to natural gas and their prices will go down and the rest of the country won't. This is very much related to another group of federal judges throughout permits and leases for drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. And again, it was Obama-era judges who threw it out, claiming it was bad for the environment. Now, the other issue here is that one of the things that this line was going to do is connect our natural gas to ports so that we could use export terminals for liquid natural gas and get it overseas Instead, we're going to have to rely on the Qataris. We're going to have to rely on the Qataris to cover Europe's demand for natural gas, and China, by the way. The Qataris have lots of export contracts with the Chinese for natural gas, too. We're not going to be able to do it because of progressive judges that Barack Obama pointed to the bench. Isn't it funny how all these cases get steered that way? I, you know, they say it's random, but I, I'm starting to wonder if the system's being gamed in some way. Like in Georgia, the, the there's a redistricting case now. Uh, the left has filed suit on redistricting, and surprise, it goes to a Barack Obama judge. Last time a voting rights case, went to a Barack Obama judge. But in this case, this actually, by the way, um causes a national security incident. Now follow along with me. Here's here's another another piece by RBN Energy. It's no secret to anybody paying attention to US natural gas markets that Appalachia has long been bedeviled by midstream constraints, often leading to deep gas price discounts. There have been b- brief respites when new capacities come online, allowing more gas to flow out. But if you've been reading our natural gas reports, you know we've been sounding the alarm about the growing specter of constraints reemerging. Across the country, the boom in pipeline reversals, greenfield projects, and pipeline expansions that characterize much of the 2010s is pretty much over. With just a couple of approved expansions left, it's gotten much harder for projects offering additional capacity to gain traction, especially in the Northeast. Progressives are limiting our natural gas pipelines in this country to force people to move to solar and wind. But did you pay attention to Texas last year? Wind and, natural, or wind and, and solar failed in Texas. The wind turbines froze over. The snow covered the solar panels. There's only one nuclear plant. We're having problems, and it's the left in this country manufacturing environmental crises. Progressive activist judges, the Biden administration, the bureaucracy, left-wing agitators filing lawsuits, the way that the the law allows them to do this, we have fallen into the trap that they set. The Bush administration was very good about pushback on this. The Trump administration tried, but the Trump administration took shortcuts, and the problem with the Trump administration taking shortcuts is that it allowed judges to stop them because they were taking the shortcuts. This, like for the census and other issues, was a constant problem with the Trump administration. They just thought they could snap their finger and say, don't do X, Y, and Z, but in fact, there was a process that had to be played out for them to get to that point, and they always short-circuited the process, and it gave judges room to say, nope, didn't play the game right, go back to the beginning, do it over again, and it slowed everything down. The Bush administration was smart enough to get that. But now we're at a point where the left is shutting down pipelines, shutting down oil and natural gas refineries, shutting down production facilities in the Gulf of Mexico. We are creating an energy crisis. We are creating instability. It's not us. It's the progressives and they know they're doing it and the reason they're doing it is they want to force us to change but there's not enough capacity for us to change and now you know the result is high gas prices we're back to high gas prices they fell a little bit and now they're at an all-time high listen to Jen Sackey, the white house press secretary on this issue
1: um so president biden said uh, with oil prices that he released the strategic petroleum reserves mm-hmm. and that brought down Actually, on that day, the price of oil actually rose, and it went down for the Omicron variant um, as the fears of lockdowns. Today, oil prices are $91, more than $91 a barrel. Is um, there any consideration in the administration to reversing any of the policies or regulations or removing some to, to encourage more drilling in the U.S. for future demand? Well,
3: let me tell you what we are doing, of course. We, of course, tapped the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Sometimes that takes some time to to uh, to be digested into the system. Uh, we've also worked with a number of countries around the world to do something similar. Uh, we've been engaged with OPEC nation countries about the need for the uh, supply available to meet the demand. We've also called out uh, the record profits made by oil companies, uh, which should not be lost uh, as an issue as consumers are looking at the price that they are paying uh, at the 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 prices they are paying uh, and then i would also note that you should check with oil companies on whether they are tapping into uh, all of the land leases they have available at their disposal about, i don't
0: wait a second they, they notice that they're they're not talking about expanding production she's not talking about that she's talking about the, the, tapping into all the leases they just had leases taken away by left-wing judges believe they are what about encouraging the, the investment in drilling in other places
2: in the u.s
3: Uh, Again, I think the president's view is that we are uh, it is a huge advantage to us to be a leader uh, in the clean energy transition. And over the course of years and decades, we've become a clean energy superpower because ultimately that's not just where the jobs are. It's where the strategic advantage will lie.
0: So, no, no. They don't want to do it. Your costs are going up. You know, this contributes to inflation. It's not just labor. Labor. Energy costs contribute to inflation. They don't want to expand. We now have had federal judges appointed by Barack Obama get rid of leases in the Gulf of Mexico that would drive down oil prices. And we've had judges appointed by Barack Obama shut down a natural gas pipeline that's all but built that would enable us to lower natural gas prices, not just in the country but globally, without depending on third-world dictatorships to do it the Biden administration and the environmentalists are setting us up for international calamity at the prices, at at the gas pump, at the power bill, and at the emboldening of really bad people making a lot of money off of oil and natural gas because we're not. Whatever happened to energy independence? I thought that was a strategic, I thought it was strategic for us to do that. Apparently not. Apparently, we want to let countries like Qatar that prop up terrorists around the world be the ones to get all the money while we sit back and say, put a windmill on your car. It's bad. What's good is there are people out there fighting fighting against this sort of stuff. One of the groups that fights against it is Patriot Mobile. I know, they're a cell phone company, but they contribute a portion of their profits to the conservative movement to fight this sort of nonsense. They fight on the pro-life side, the pro-energy side, the pro-Second Amendment side, uh, but they need you as a customer to help keep the fight going, and they're a great company to have as your cell phone provider. They make it really easy. They'll port your phone number over. If you want a new number, they'll give you a new number. All you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash eric. That's PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can get discounts if you're a first responder, large family with multiple lines, you're a teacher, you're an NRA member. Discounts for everybody. You can save some money with Patriot Mobile. And they use the same cell towers everybody else uses, so you don't have to worry about the quality. You get 5G, you get data, you get voice, you name it. If you don't want to do it over the Internet, you can do it over the phone. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT is the phone number. You just tell them Eric sent you, and you get free activation at patriotmobile.com. By the way, you know, it's worth noting that when we withdraw oil from the strategic petroleum reserve, we got to put it back. So, you take money out or you take oil out, you got to put oil in and that causes the price to go up because that oil is not going into the market, it's going into the strategic petroleum reserve. We've known this for a long time. All right, to the phones, Michael, you're going to be up next. Welcome.
2: Hello, Eric. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. My thing is, so as you can tell from my accent, I'm from the other side of the pond, from England. So I moved my family, sell, off, move over here to America. I'm on an E2 business visa, and my thing is, there's no, there's no reward for me. You know, I don't. If I spend 10 years here, 20 years here, I still can't do anything. I still can't live here. I've got to renew my visa every two and a half to five years. Whereas, you know, you're getting people that are coming from. South America, walking straight in. Mm -hmm. Here we go, the Dreamer Act, if it passes, you can live here. And it's just sort of like, you know, I know I'm from a first world country and they're not, but it's sort of disheartening. I pay my taxes. I've created lots of jobs in the county that I live in, in Georgia. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we've got sort of the priorities
0: wrong. We're, we're rewarding lawbreakers and not rewarding job creators like you coming to the country. It's one of the most screwed up systems uh, we have. We've got lots of screwed up things here, but this may be the most screwed
2: up. It's so, still the best country. I've traveled. I lived in Dubai like you did. I was working for Emirates in, oh, Dubai wow. in the 2000s. So I've lived in Australia, England, Spain, in, uh, all over. But America, to me, still the best country on the planet. You now, if we could just I actually, this, I love this place. That's great to hear.
0: Listen, I I, I appreciate you calling in. Um, now, what part of what what part of the UK are you actually from?
2: A little town called Ascot, which is known for horse racing. Uh, the yeah. Queen lives about 15 minutes away.
0: <laughs> I know Ascot. You know, my sister went to um, boarding school at Tassus, um in Sussex. Oh, I know
2: um, Tassus. Yeah, yep yeah. yeah. I know it. I, yep. I, I had American friends that used to go there when I was growing mm.
0: up. We used to spend a ton of time in in, in Britain. gosh I, I I love going over there. Um, so much more expensive to go over there. it's always a shock but well look, I'm glad to have you here and maybe one day we can get get some common sense. I gotta let you go there. We're out of time but Michael, thank you for the phone call and you're right. We should we've lost our minds as a country when it comes to immigration policy and it comes to energy policy and so much of it is a progressivism that has infested the bureaucracy. So the bureaucracy itself loses all sense of reason. And I've always said we need, to fire, we need to pass the law that allows the president to fire the bureaucrats, get rid of the Civil Service Act, and allow the president to just fire people at will. Um, the Civil Service Act, the entrenched bureaucracy, it used to work for us, and now it's working against us. It's 2022. Things are still crazy things haven't settled down and now you got the federal reserve and interest rates. You got the economy, you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building? You want to build a building? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can